Holly G with the Golf Insiders, teeing it up with one of our favorites, Bob Herrick from ESPN.com. What a difference a week makes at Muirfield Village, Bob. It went from uh, uh, soft and gentle to a beast. But uh, John Rahm coming out on top. Big victory yeah. for him. A great win for him on a course that played like a major and uh, sort of, you know, maybe what's next in line for him. You know, he's number one in the world now and had a great week and sort of saw that coming maybe for a while that he was going to get there eventually. And, uh, you know, now uh, now we're probably expecting that he's in the midst of things when he's, uh, when he's in the major championships. Well, of course, we've got to talk about that fantastic Tiger-esque chip-in on 16. You know that's a favorite of uh, Tiger's. Rom was wearing the red, I believe. And um, then, of course, we had a little bit of rules controversy. Uh, break that down for my listeners. Yeah, you know, thankfully it didn't, it didn't matter in the end uh, because that would have been horrific if he had only had a one- or two-shot lead. And then that became, um, you know, uh, a, a, a something that denies him a win. Um, you know, I, I think where I sit on that is is that uh, you know the ball moves, but the rule says that it has to be discernible to the naked eye, and to my naked eye, you had to really kind of look closely at the video, even even the video that they ran in real time that, that wasn't slow motion to see that ball move. And so, and it moved. It clearly did. If you look hard at that video, it moved. So does that mean, though, that John Rahm could have seen it move? You know, and I think that's where I have trouble with it. I, I don't know for sure that you could say that. And when they reviewed it, my guess is, is there was no point for him to argue it. Take the two shots. What's the difference, you know? But in a situation where that matters, I don't know. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm sort of bothered by it because, because, again, I really think we were finding it moves based on the video that, sh that, that was slowed down. And that's, the, the rule that was rewritten a couple of years ago says you can't use that. You have to, it has to be discernible to the naked eye. In other words, you shouldn't have been able to be standing over it and notice it move. And, you know, I, we don't know. Was John Romley set the club down looking at the target? You know, I mean, like, you know if the ball rolled back and yeah. you put the club down. I don't know that you know that it moved fractionally like it did and really didn't change position but by the letter of the law that yeah it moved and if you saw it do that then it's a penalty but I just don't know that you could have seen it so I know there's a few different views on this I just think that big picture in golf this is one of those things that the average guy who tries to get to follow the sport and get used to it uh, has trouble with it, it just it, it would have been a monumental disaster if that had cost him the tournament. Absolutely. And, I mean, a couple of things. Yeah, you. I mean, you had to get up to your 60-inch 
you know, HD Max Max TV with a magnifying glass to see that with your naked eye. And secondly, I just think a two-stroke penalty in that situation is too severe because I think it has the chance to throw a tournament. And I think that's, you know... It's supposed to be one shot for the ball moving and one shot because you didn't move it back. Where were you going to move that ball back? Right. That You know, that should be another standard in this. Like, you weren't going to move it anywhere. It barely moved. You know? And so, like, maybe it should just be a one-shot penalty. Um, the whole moving it back thing. Especially in two-inch rough on the edge of the green. Right. Come on. Yeah, I mean, you're sitting there, you're, 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 you're penalizing him twice for one infraction, really. One shot because it moved, and then one because you didn't move it back. You know, so, in other words, if he had moved it back, but have only been, I guess it's only one shot, it's still the shot for making it move. You know, well, like, again, I just don't see how you could have moved it back. There was nowhere to move it back to. You, it, it, by moving it at all, you would have moved it from its original position anyway. So I just think that this is one of those things where the letter of the law really comes back and bites, bites you in this situation. Now, look, here's the other side of it. You've got to be careful when you place your club behind the ball. And we all know that if you ground your club behind the ball, and the ball moves, you are deemed to have made the ball move. Different now in the punting green, but out in, in the field of play, you know, out in the fairway or in the rough, that's the rule. And so you've got to be careful. And I and so I sort of, you know, if you want to do it because of that, then you say, okay, I get that. But again, I still think two shots is too much. And, and then, we're, then we're back to, could you really see it move? I mean, Faldo called it moving on TV, you know, on CBS. He said, you know, that ball moved. But I also think he's saying that based on looking at replay. Right. You know, and, you know, you didn't notice it move right away. They zeroed in on it so close because obviously at the time of the tournament, of where the situation, that looked bad for him. You know, Ryan Palmer's on the green and has, what, a 12-15 footer for birdie. And it, I believe he was, what, four back maybe at the time or three back. You know, if he makes birdie and Rom bogeys there, which he actually ended up doing, but if he makes bogey, now you're, you know, you're, you're within two. Or one maybe, yep. I think it was. And so they were going to study that shot, and they were talking about how hard it was. And, you know, this could, well, then he, he knocks it in. Well, but you look at the replay, you, you, and if you look at it closely, and you look at it enough times, you see that ball for actually moved. And so, uh, you know, it's, um, I don't know. I, I know people have asked me, well, you know, what about people who don't have cameras on them all the time? I go, well, this is, this is one of the things that, that with the rules of golf, it, that doesn't matter. They, the, the, the idea is to get it right and try to do any way possible to get it right. And if it means that on a hole where there's more people watching than on a hole where there isn't, that, that's just too bad. You know, that's the way golf is set up. I mean, um, 
we don't have instant replay everywhere to catch rules infractions. That's not the point. The point is to make sure you don't commit an infraction, and if you can help yourself from committing one. So, in that case, I don't, I, I don't really, I don't really agree with people who think it's unfair. But I just think, man, that was a very, very strict interpretation, and thank goodness it didn't matter. Yeah, thank goodness, and um, clearly by his immediate post-round interview on CBS, there was no doubt he was shocked when he was told that they were reviewing the shot. Um, you know, that, that was pretty, um, pretty evident. And in the That's same- the other thing is, yeah. you know, he, they didn't tell him on the course. No. And they didn't tell Ryan Palmer. If I'm not mistaken, it meant uh, that he was only two shots ahead after the, if, if the penalty was applied. See, he walked off the 16th green four shots ahead, I think. Uh, or maybe it was five, uh, because he made birdie and Palmer didn't make his putt. Whatever, the, the lead was, was so big they deemed it not important to tell him. But yet, if you, if you shrink that lead from five to three, you don't tell Ryan Palmer that. Maybe he's thinking, maybe if I just birdie these two holes, he can make a, you know, the, the week before, uh, Justin Thomas tossed up a three-shot lead with, with a couple of holes to go. It's actually with three to go. But still, it's possible. You know, and so, but they played on as if he had the, that big of a lead. And, and so, you know, it, it, it was almost like they should have said something. Because Palmer, might, it might have impacted the way he played. You know, so it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's, the rules are complicated, and I hate to second guess those guys, because they really, really know it, you know, the, the rules officials and stuff, but I just thought that was a very, very narrow interpretation, and, and uh, it, uh, that could have been a really, really awful situation. Well, and it seems to just smack in the, you know, modification of the rule in 2019, which, you know, stated limitations on use of video evidence. And right. as you said, um, you know, that if it could not reasonably have been seen with the naked eye and the player was not otherwise aware of a potential breach of the rules. So that was clear. I mean, you know, narrow right. interpretation, geez, um, you know, they certainly didn't err in, you know, favor of the player. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird one. And luckily, it, you know, it was still a great shot. And, it, and luckily, it didn't impact the outcome. But um, it's, uh, you know, that's, that's a sticky one. And in the heat of the moment, we all got to get a little closer to John Rahm. I thought what he said, first of all, I thought it was um, just a hoot to watch the Golden Bear fist pump, John. He didn't quite know what he wanted to do. That exchange between them coming off the green was, you know, just priceless. And of course, you know, John saying, I want to, I want to be like you. I love it. 
uh, referring to Jack and um, and then just his comments about you know his thoughts about COVID and family members and uh, you know having lost uh, a family member was it his grandmother I'm not sure um, you know and they hadn't been able to have a funeral yet I mean this is you know this is the total impact and where we get to see golfers you know as human beings no doubt yeah he's He's very, very well spoken for a guy who came to America, what, you know, eight, nine years ago and didn't speak a word of English. You know, he or spoke very, very little. He learned it all over here. And, you know, I think now you could argue he might speak better than we do. <laughs> most of them, better than most of us. You know, I thought he, I thought he came off great. He handled that really, really well. And, uh, you know, he's, he's had some, uh, He's had some pretty mature comments on some, on some issues that have been going on in the world today. Really, really impressed with him, and uh, congrats uh, to claiming that number one spot. And speaking of the Golden Bear, you know, big announcement Sunday that Jack and his wife Barbara had tested positive for COVID. Were you aware of this? You know, there had been some rumblings about that early on. Uh, back, you know, in the March, April time frame. And, of course, that's something that you have a very hard time confirming. Um, and uh, so I wasn't completely surprised when he said that. Um, it was a little awkward how that came about. It sounds like they wanted to announce it because they had started this thing that was you know, donating money to the COVID-19 relief efforts, which is a great cause. Uh, but uh, um, but then, you know, it, it got into that kind of messy area of, hey, I've got antibodies. I can't infect anybody. And, you know, I'm in a good spot, whatever. And, well, you know, we, we don't really know that for sure, you know. Right. And there's Jack, there's Jack Nicholas, infectious disease expert on national TV, talking about, you know, having antibodies, which apparently had been tested for early in the week and did show antibodies still, even though he hasn't had it since April. You know, okay, that's great. Um, also maybe suggest that, uh, that, that that his case was a little bit more severe than he let on, uh, because if anything, what we're learning is, is, you know, the antibodies last longer if you had a more severe case. If your case was mild, your antibodies probably are not very long-lasting, uh, and they don't have enough research on that for them to feel safe, and you should feel safe. Uh, so, but anyway, you know, um, uh, that was, um, I thought it was a little dangerous what he was saying there, but I, I understood his point, and uh, they were actually trying to get the word out about a, 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 good, a good cause that they were supporting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you're a guy that uh, has covered Tiger uh, as closely as anybody out there on tour. What were your uh, takeaways from Tiger's week and weekend? And, um, you know, we always talk about this, needs, needs more rounds. Um, you know, what, what were your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I was... I was uh, a little surprised he didn't do better. Um, obviously, he had the setback during the second round, the uh, the back stiffness, 
it was quite obvious by the way he was swinging, losing a lot of shots to the right. Um, he actually did really well to hold it together, given that. Uh, and so, um, you know, like he swung it pretty well Thursday. I thought he swung the club really well Sunday, even though he didn't score very well. Uh, you know, it, it was a tough day Sunday. He, he makes a, he made a double bogey on a par five when he missed the green with the wedge. Um, his wedge play remained incredibly mediocre. Uh, it wasn't great before, you know, and, and when he's done well, he's had that dialed in, but like, he's not really had that dialed in uh, when he's been playing. It, 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 it's a bit of a mystery to me why he struggles more from 100 yards statistically than he does from like 180. You know, I mean, he doesn't hit it closer from 180, but stats-wise, you know, he's way better compared to the field from that distance than he is from 100 yards. And uh, that leads you to wonder, is he not working on it enough? Um, was he, was, you know, the, the more he bends over, the worse it is. The longer shots are actually easier. Uh, you know, could it have been that he wasn't able to practice? His putting was really mediocre. Uh, you know, Brandel Chambly has said he's, he's, he's one of, you know, the way he putts, he's one of the worst putters on tour. You know, I mean, he misses a lot of short ones, and uh, that again could be down to just not putting in the work. He he said afterward that he wasn't used to the big breaking green. You know, it's been so long since he played anywhere other than Florida, right? That that he hadn't gotten used to that. So, um, to your point about needing more rounds, out of decision looms on Memphis. I wouldn't be surprised either way what he does. Um, I think he needs to play. It would be good for him if he played because it's four rounds. But then again, now you bring him to play, is he overdoing it? Going from 95 to 65 temperatures, you know. Um, but again, I, I think he really, he probably knows that if I want to be competitive with the PGA, I need to get some rounds in competition. I, I can't just be practicing on Bermuda greens at home in Florida. Right. So, uh, you know. So I wouldn't be surprised if he enters uh, the, the Memphis tournament here uh, and then takes off the playoff event and tries to make sure that he earns enough points to make it to Atlanta. And they could get some cool weather out there in San Francisco, as we know. Um, yeah, I mean, this, this, you know, this time of year, the average high temperature is in the, in the mid to high 60s there. You know, it's, just, it's, it's certainly not going to be hot. Uh, it's not going to be. It's not going to be Memphis hot. It's not going to be Florida hot. Um, you know, it's. Uh, you know, I think if it got into the seventies, that would be that would be about as good as you could expect. Uh, like I'm just, you know, looking as we're talking at the at the forecast for San Francisco, like the next couple of days, the, the, the high never gets above sixty nine until a week from Friday. You know, yeah. so. It gets, it gets to 71 a week from Friday, and the lows are in the 50s. Now, the mid-50s is very comfortable. It's fine. It's not cold, cold, but it's not warm, you know. And Tiger doesn't need a 7.50 tee time in 55-degree weather. Right. So, uh, you know. And you get that dampness uh, from the fog that rolls in, and, you know, that time of year it's usually, you know, it's usually pretty thick until the afternoon. Exactly. Yep. So we 
moved to Minnesota, as you were saying, the TPC, the Twin Cities, the 3M Open, and um, some guy that we've been seeing a lot of, Matthew Wolf, who is defending champion. So what should we be expecting this week in Minnesota? Well, you know, I think we're back to a golf course that's a lot easier. It's going to yield a lot of birdies. Um, they're going to have a pretty good go at it. And uh, while the field strength is nowhere near what we've seen the last couple of weeks, there's still a lot of good players there. <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody – doesn't shoot 22, 23 under. I think Wolf was 25 under last year, and the next best was 20. So uh, uh, um, it's a uh, it, it's going to be a birdie fest again, and, and uh, you know that's okay. I mean, I think a good mixture of these these low scoring events and these tough events is good. Obviously, we're going to have a tough one or a reasonably tough one at the PGA in a few weeks. That's what you would expect at a major. Uh, so, uh, and we, we got our dose, a little dose of it for the first time at the Memorial. So, um, you know, and, and, and there's, there's something to be said for that. Uh, it's, it's actually fun to watch that, watch these guys struggle. Oh, Jack was loving every minute of it. And, um, to just remind people, Dustin Johnson went 80, 80 in round one and two. <laughs> To shoot 16 over. Holy smokes. And uh, Bob, your pick was looking grim on Thursday. Xander Shoffley last week shooting six over in the first round and managed to bring yeah. it back. Tie for 13. So who's your pick this Sunday? Yeah, I think in that first day, I might have texted you and lamented my my streak going out the window there, but uh, he did he did me right. He had a good 54 holes. Yeah, he bounced and, back. Uh, and, uh, you know, for the reason that we were just talking about, I'm going with DJ. Oh! DJ, nothing bothers that guy. Nothing bothers that guy. I don't think he is worried in the least about shooting a couple of scores of 80. You know, he didn't just suddenly lose his game. He had won the tournament, his last tournament he played. True. You know, and then True. he goes there and he – he shows up and he just doesn't have it, and it can be easy to get away from you. And I'm sure the way he operates, the way his mind works, there's no scar tissue whatsoever. And now he's he's at a place where now it's the first time he's playing there. But I have a feeling that place is going to look wide and wide open to him after Muirfield Village, and I have a feeling he's going to make a bunch of birdies and do pretty well. I love that pick. DJ from missing the cut to hoisting the trophy on Sunday. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Bob, so much. Always great to have you on the show and check out all of uh, his great columns week to week, ESPN.com. Take care. Thank you.